Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. American Relapses director Pat McGee follows up that wonderful documentary with another one. This one's called From the Hood to the Holler. In this, McGee follows Charles Booker's campaign for the United States Senate in the state of Kentucky. It follows Booker from the most urban of settings to the most rural of backwoods as Booker and his team are rewriting the campaign playbook. Instead of exploiting divisions, they lean into the idea that average Kentuckians have common bonds united by their shared day-to-day fight to survive. Booker's message is simple and straightforward. Whether you're from the city, like Booker, or the Appalachian holler, you are not invisible. The film is called From the Hood to the Holler, and we're joined today by the director, Pat McGee. Pat, welcome to Film School Radio. Thanks, Mike. What a winning personality in the in the in Charles Booker you have as a subject of a documentary film. Very open, very seem to be very much a genuine person from start to finish in this film and a man who is truly dedicated to what he believes in. How did you get to know Charles Booker? You know, honestly, I just, I reached out to the campaign and asked if I could, uh, you know, capture, you know, what was going on uh, in Kentucky. And they said, come on down, get on the bus. It's really, uh, it's a testament to who Charles is as a person, you know, trusting an outsider to come in and, and document uh, him, you know, in his, his race for the U.S. Senate. Uh, nomination but uh yeah it was it was amazing what was his reaction when you said you know i'm interested in documenting what you're doing i know his family is very important to him he didn't he seems like a private person i don't know what was his reaction you know i i went through the campaign i literally just um you know i, I left a, a direct a, a message and they said come on down so when i first met charles he said just get on the bus and and, and you know i mean i think early on I, I want to be, you know, clear that, you know, this wasn't going to be an extension of his campaign, but more so a documentary about what really happens, you know, behind the curtain, um, you know, behind closed doors. And if he was willing to let me just and, and our team capture that, then then we were on board. And, you know, it really is, uh, it's about who he is as a person, you know, to be able to trust someone with no strings attached. He had no way to control. So, um, I think that was important for me as a storyteller, and I think it was also, um, it showcases who he is as a person. I'm going to resist the temptation to try and categorize Charles Booker as a politician. I'll leave that to you. How would you characterize Charles Booker? You know, people can call Charles any, anything they want. I mean, at the end of the day, he is who he is, and and that really is, it, it's about you know, his values. At first and foremost, what I've noticed is he's a Kentuckian and he, he believes in trying to make that state and his neighbors and the people around him a, a better place to live. And, you know, I think he really started to circle around this kind of like idea of this Kentucky New Deal. Or, and um, I think it's, it's worth noting that, you know, that really is important because what he's trying to say is like, look, you know, this isn't about progressive values. It's about showing that we have more in common than we don't. And let's right. you know take the things that we care deeply about and find those commonalities. And 
common ground and kind of lift each other's voices up. And I think that's that's what's important. But yeah, you know, people label, you know, we get into this device of politics and it yeah. gets unfortunate. And to your point, I think Charles Booker goes out of his way to frame his message in a way that is not hyper-partisan. It's something that I think he speaks from the heart. He talks to people in a very respectful and open way. So I think that's the kind of politics that he's practicing. The film, for me, is divided into, I'd say, two pl- two parts. It's his run against McGrath. He announced how many days before the primary? You can't hold me to the exact time. but It I, wasn't very much time. It, it, was, it, it was several months, though. Was it several months? Yeah. Okay. And, um, you know, we, we picked it up, you know, kind of like halfway through. But, you know, it was, it was just amazing to see, you know, how his movement was just ignited kind of like this electricity on the ground. I mean, there's so many people just fired up. I mean, right. the momentum, it, it was, it was all inspiring. I mean, you could feel it, you could hear it, you could see it. And I think, you know, a lot of people know in the state and involved, if there was a little more time, he, he would have won that race. Yeah. That's really fascinating to watch how, how he caught on. He had no money in comparison to what, Amy McGrath, and I'm not disparaging Amy McGrath in my conversation with you. I just think she had substantially financially well-known and had a certain kind of projected a certain kind of persona that from the outside looking in would feel more like what Kentucky would be interested in and supporting, right? I mean, she fit a profile, I think, that for a lot of politicos, that's what you're looking for. And along comes Charles, and he is a very different kind of politician and that he speaks from the heart. Uh, and putting aside his political agenda, whatever, he feels like somebody who's very, so genuine when he speaks about things. Mike, I th- yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I, I think, you know, the film really does um, a number of things. Um, you know, one, it's really about this 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 portrait documentary. It's a, it's, a, it's a bio about this person named Charles Booker, you know, finding his voice as a leader, you know, finding this opportunity. And, and really kind of like rolling the dice. You know, he had a very safe house uh, seat at the state assembly, you know, that, that gives you, you know, health care. And, and, uh, and he, he decided that, you know, the time was now and, and he rolled the dice. So that part of the documentary is really about the story of Charles Booker. You know, it's, it's a moment in time, you know, there's so many things going on with uh, Breonna Taylor, the, the, the yeah. tragedy that occurred there. I mean, all the troubles in the street, um, you know, the activism, you know, the, the people that are just coming together and marching for what they felt, you know, that needed to be done. And so when you see that moment, and now you're starting to see a lot of that come to fruition. I mean, we're learning now, you know, the Breonna Taylor stuff was based, you know, the, the, the no-knock warrant was based on fraudulent information. And it's absolutely all those people were right about what happened. <laughs> and so that's interesting. And and then there's also this other part of the doc that's super exciting is that you get to really get to see the inner workings. I mean, yeah. if anyone gets to be in those rooms and to see what really happens, you, you know, in real time, voter suppression's happening. Um, they're working around the clock to try to get an extension, um, watching the vote totals come in. As a political enthusiast, man, I was just... This is amazing. I was, I was like a kid in a candy store. It was, it was super grateful to, to be part of it. 
Yeah, that part of it. I thank you for bringing that up because I thought that part of it was, as you said, it just incredibly fascinating in the sense that you, at least watching it for me was, and I've been around politics. I, I mean, I understand how things work generally speaking, but there was something so brazen about the way that 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 night unfolded for people trying to vote in a one facility for a county of or for a electoral district of 760,000 people one place to vote that happened to be the most predominantly i think minority democratic district i would say in the state is that a fair way to put it unbelievable yeah. Un it, it, it it's absolutely it, it it's it's unbelievable and and every time when we're on the festival circuit and it was one of those moments every time when people that stat would come up there and would say 700,000 in Jefferson County, one point, but you know, the, everybody that the gasp, the audible gasp and the reaction, it was always, always happened, you know, because it still, it still blows my mind. It's like, you know, look, we know COVID was happening. They know that they're trying to like, you know, do the best they can. But at the end of the day, I mean, there's only like so many ways in there, right? So there's only so many roads that go to the, the convention center. So just pure logic says it's not possible. Um, and that's, that's you know, it's, it, it's sad, you know, and then you look at people that the campaign that try to be very positive, but they know the reality, they're smart, but they're trying to take the high road, but a half hour extension, come on, are you yeah. kidding? That was the other thing. Oh, they got the judge. He's hey, he's issuing an injunction or whatever. And oh, a half an hour, really? I mean, and and there and that there's a great scene in, in relation to this. Those people, inside and outside, you've got you you've got the video of them pounding on the windows and the doors. Literally thousands of people waiting in line. And this is America. Yeah. I mean, we care about democracy, right? I mean, theoretically. I mean, can you imagine? And I think uh, Shantae Wolf, you know, the deputy campaign manager, you know, she talks about, you know, if we can just get one black woman and her, her daughter to vote, how important that is. And to see people be locked at the door. I mean, it, it's just it's it's not right. And uh, it's just not to your point. It's not the way our, our, our country or our, our election system is supposed to work. It's just it's not yeah. the way it's supposed to happen. And, and to be able to capture that on film, I think is really important. I think when people watch that, they don't understand. I know we, we played this film in so many different play, great places across the country. We were in Martha's Vineyard and, and someone said, I had no idea about any of this in Kentucky. And they were just upset, you know, and they, they considered themselves to be involved and, you know, very knowledgeable about what's going on in the world. But there's things that just don't get reported. You know, that whole, that, that was outrageous. That's not going to get reported in national news. And people like Charles, in most situations, don't get reported either. He did the last week, but it just wasn't enough. I remind our listeners, we're speaking with Pat McGee. He is the director of the documentary film From the Hood to the Holler. And uh, it is coming out here in Los Angeles uh, on September 16th. It'll be at the Lemley Monica Film Center. And in New York City, it will be at the Cinema Village as well as other markets across the country. And you can go to from the hood to the holler.com. That's the website for the film and find out more about where it'll be screening. Also, you can go to patmcgeepictures.com, which 
I believe if I have this right, you're distributing this. Is that right? It's your your company. Yeah, so we're distributing. We had some really great offers, but we thought it was important just to, to retain control and full ownership. Some of these distribution deals, as you know, are just kind of a one-way street, a one-way deal. And we wanted to be able to show it anywhere, anytime, any place. Um, and so that was important to us. So good for you. Um, I, yeah. was, I was, I was, when I saw that you were releasing, I thought, I don't think I've seen that very much, if at all, before. So, my yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. So we'll be, we'll be streaming. You know, it, it'll be released in, you know, iTunes and Amazon and Google Play and stuff. And I believe that's September 30th. So it'll be two weeks after the theatrical release. But we thought it was important because a lot of these um, deals, you know, look, we're not always making money. You know, this is an independent project and it's really about the story. It's about getting it out there. And, um, you know, we, we just think it's really important to be able to share it um, freely as much as possible. It's such a difficult business model <laughs> for documentary films. And I don't even know, honestly, I don't know how it works. I don't know how documentary filmmakers make money. And I don't know how they keep going except by the grace of of foundations and funding and all the rest of it. I know some do. I know some end up, you know, HBO or whatever bigger platforms. But the economic model behind documentary filmmaking is a mystery to me. It's a big learning curve. And I'm very blessed and lucky to work in, in the business and, and unscripted and a lot of stuff that's on, um, you know, streamers and that sort of stuff. But when we do these independent projects, it's been a learning curve. And I can say it takes a group of really dedicated filmmakers. You know, the team that, you know, did American Relapse that I've, I've worked with for the last 10 years, you know, the same team behind this. So it's like, you know, Adam Lincoln helped, who yeah. I co-directed uh, American Relapse with. He's been a partner in crime for a long time. He's a producer and an editor on this. And then we also have Terry Hain, who is producer editor? He also was on American Relapse, and uh, and we have Greg Taylor, who was on American Relapse, among other all these other projects. And you know, he was crazy enough to answer the call when I said, "Hey, do you want to go to Kentucky?" And uh, and he said yes. You know, Terry, Greg, Adam. Um, you know, it really is very very lucky because you know these things cost a lot of money, and so if you don't have a lot of money, you have to have a lot of friends. Right. Well, and the good news is, generally speaking, especially when you've gotten to a point in your career, you do have some control over the, what eventually comes out. You have more control maybe than other filmmakers in that regard. And the fact that it puts you in a place to do the work that you want to do. If, if you, I feel like if you're a documentary filmmaker and you're making the projects that you want to, if you're doing that, that's huge, I would think. You know, with American Relapse, it's a story that we needed to tell. With Bernie Blackout, we went out and did that independently and we got on the road and we just same, you know, Greg Taylor and I went out and just shot and just kind of went for it. And, you know, at the end of the day, once we got off the road from shooting Bernie all through the primary, we didn't have a deal. And then Vice um, came knocking on the door and said, hey, can we get in, can we get uh, get something going with you? So we partnered with them and then they ended up paying for post and, you know, becoming a partner in that. But what, what happens to your point, it's like, it's, it's really exciting because when you have American Relapse and From the Hood to the Holler, you have a group of filmmakers that really kind of get to tell the story without f four layers of yeah. 
network or bureaucracy. I'm not saying that that's bad or good. I'm just stating a fact. And sometimes it's like, you know, like when you try to write comedy with 10 people in a committee, it just doesn't work out. And sometimes when you're telling a documentary, sometimes less is more in terms of the, the note process. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, and in developing relationships, you mentioned Vice. You've also worked with a&E, who else? I just saw, I was just looking here through, uh, what Dope Sick Nation was with, who? That was with Vice. And so it was interesting. So Dope Sick Nation, American Relapse um, was the featured documentary. And then Adam had cut a trailer to get us fired up about the, you know, the long road ahead for, for Post. And I took the trailer into Vice and I showed them you know, this trailer, it's like, look, we got this feature doc we just did, you know, maybe this could be um, a series. And I know that uh, Spike Jones, who was on the creative team over there, he took a look at it and, you know, their whole development team. And they said, yeah, we'll give you 10 one hours. So we got to do 10 one hours um, with the same characters, telling the same important story and giving a little more breath and um, a chance to really dive deeply into those stories. And, um, it, it definitely forever changed a lot of our lives. I mean, it's like, you know, seeing what we did and, yeah. and, uh, that time was, uh, and being able to share it. I mean, we're really proud of that film and that series. Well, let me join the chorus of people saying how much I liked American relapse and what a great job I thought you did and how the dedication to that story. It's one of those stories that is, it had to have been a grind. It was just, I can't imagine that it wasn't just a physical grind, the emotional, psychological part of what you were, the subject matter and the people that you were dealing with, and to see them in various states of decline and all of it. These are really challenging uh, circumstances. I just can't imagine what you and your team were going through for that. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, it's definitely interesting to see what we went through, but then you look at, you know, heroes like Ali Severino, who was right. literally on the front line. And in one of the episodes, we watched someone, you know, struggle for Narcan and we had some Narcan. So they ran down and they gave Narcan to someone that was in the throes of like an overdose and um, one, two, three cans, the person was completely knocked out. And I watched Ali on the side of the train tracks, you know, yeah. give mouth to mouth and, and, you know, CPR and bring someone back. Those are those those unsung heroes that are in the streets that, you know, that are doing stuff every day. And it's like, you know, while we're capturing it, it is kind of uh, horrific in so many ways. I can't, you know, right. say enough about people like them. Right. But you're keeping us focused on these, on these kinds of things that are going on as much attention as the Sackler family has gotten and, and all this stuff around induced opioid epidemic that has crippled so much of the country it's still often kind of pushed to the side, the dealing with addiction and relapse and, and all of it. It really feels like it doesn't get the attention that statistically in every other way we can talk about it, it should matter more. You're right, and it, it doesn't get enough attention. And, and you know, it, it, it really is, you know, going back to Charles, you know, look, you know, here you have these candidates that don't necessarily have the money or the name recognition, or they're, they're outside the box. And again, it's like they, they don't get the, you know, the time of day. And yeah. it's like, so they're always they're fighting an uphill battle. You know, Charles Booker is someone that, you know, he has that lived experience. He knows, yeah. you know, about gun violence. He understands about being a diabetic and the need for healthcare. He understands all these things firsthand because it's part of his world in his community. And, you know, it's like being able to, to share 
that story with people, you know, he's going to either win or lose, right? But I think no matter what, we all win when we get to understand people like Charles exist and their opportunities to get behind people like that. Exactly. And that's the bigger point, I think, in a lot of ways. It's like, you know, when we tell our stories, it's like understanding about, um, you know, the, the heroin epidemic just to get a, like a really like honest insight into it, I think is key. And then also like even with Bernie blackouts to understand like media's role in, in shaping elections, right. you know, it wasn't necessarily about Bernie. It was about media's influence on you know how we perceive the whole thing. And, and, and this one, it's like, man, it's like just across the board. It's like Charles, Charles checks a lot of boxes for me in terms of like the stories that we want to tell. I think that's why we were all so attracted. And, you know, when you try to get that team together, you know, they're not going to, you know, get together something that, you know, they're not making money on when, unless it's important to them as well. And so I think that's what's so cool. Yeah, absolutely. I, well, congratulations on all of it. You know, one last comment on what you're talking about until we figure out a way to not weed out quality people from running for public office in this country by virtue of whether or not they're plugged into a financial wellspring of somebody who probably has an interest in you winning one way or the other, uh, good and bad. And uh, there, there's just so many things and uh, until we clean this up. Our elect electoral system is, it needs a lot of help. And I think films like Bernie Blackout and From the, From the Hood to the Holler are invaluable and just one last quick thing about uh, addiction and documentary films. There have been a few lately. Our American Family is another one that dives very deeply into addiction and the dynamics of it. Jacinto came out last year, Anonymous Sister, where we're seeing these things and playing out. And hopefully as they reach an audience, we're, bu we're building a consensus around what we need to do. And I, I with your film as well, I think films, American Relapse and, and your series. But I love this film. I do truly love From the Hood to the Holler. Uh, and I hope to God that Charles Booker is a part of the <laughs> American uh, iconography at some point in his in his political career because he deserves a place. And I hope that Kentucky and the voters of Kentucky realize that. So thank you. Thank you, Mike. I really appreciate this. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Music